Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Let's get ready to podcast. I don't know. Trying to stick with that uh, new opening line. So what do you think? Let me know. Hey, guys. Welcome. We certainly appreciate you guys being here. We've got a most excellent guest and a very old friend of mine on the show, and he's going to talk a lot about uh, some different things uh, on starting his business and some of the ideas entrepreneur stuff. So we're going to get into that. We're going to find out some wonderful things about his different properties and what he does in the business world of magazines, events, and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we'll get into that, but be sure to refer the show to your friends, neighbors, relatives, go to thecvpn.com. That's chrisvosspodcastnetwork.com. There's nine, holy crap, nine podcasts to consume there. If you're stuck in quarantine or if you're at work and you just don't want to do the work your boss is giving you, or you're just trying to ignore your wife, family and kids or vice versa um, you can listen to nine podcasts and you can learn stuff and we put a lot of stuff on there for uh, entrepreneurs future entrepreneurs we know people are out of work so this is a great time to maybe start a new career starting your own business get some ideas figure out a way to survive in this economy uh, also go to youtube.com for just chris voss hit that bell notification and subscribe to all the videos because you see a lot of that stuff up here and of course you can go through 300 old podcasts through itunes google play spotify and everything else you can hear all the wonderful uh book author interviews and everything that we've done so the gentleman we have on today gentleman uh, might be a strong word but no he's a great guy uh is charles warner charles is the ceo at ipw Editor-in-Chief, Innovation in Tech Today, Residential Tech Today, Cannabis and Tech Today, and some investments in uh, uh, cannabis companies that he takes and does. Uh, he is a veteran-owned media company headquartered in Denver with offices around the country. Uh, at IPW, Warner is responsible for overseeing companies in many areas of specialization, including custom publishing, sponsorship sales, and on-site activation, audience development, and sales training, and media placement. So um, welcome to the show, Charles. How you doing, buddy? Thanks, man. That was a long list of uh, fake accomplishments. I and I had to that. cut it off, too. You've, yeah. got a, you've got a whole lot more going on there. But no, those, those sound pretty real, man. Yeah. I you mean, know, when you're an entrepreneur, you kind of got to do a lot of different, uh, wear a lot of different hats. Yeah, and you got to do it all, man. I mean, mm -hmm. that's 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 the real thing. I think at one point I had twenty-one different corporate entities that we were invested in and operating. We had like three core ones. But yeah, I know the craziness and heckness of wearing those balances stuff. So we're going to talk today and help educate our audience a little bit on how you built it, uh, what, how you did it, what you're doing today, and all that good stuff. So, um, so you have three magazines, if I if I understand correctly. Tell us about them. Yeah, so uh, a little over five years ago, we launched um, Innovation in Tech Today. It was initially just going to be a one-off, and we didn't have anything to do afterwards, so we made it quarterly, uh, kind of built that up. And then um, two years ago, we got a crazy idea to do a couple of spinoffs, and that's when we launched Residential Tech Today and Cannabis in Tech Today. So next thing you know, we had three, ma three print magazines, digital you know, all the social, all the email marketing, everything to handle um, instead of just one. So it became a lot more work, uh, but it also opened up a lot more opportunities. You know, we had more inventory, big different niche audiences. And it was a, um, it was actually a good decision to do it back then 
you know, looking at when we spun them off. But at the time I was not excited to do it because it just seemed like a lot more work and, you know, it was already a lot of work. So looking back, I'm glad I did it. You know, it's like when you go to the gym and you don't want to afterwards, you're like, I'm glad I did that. That's, that's how it was. It's interesting how life takes us down those roads. Now you got your start in the military. I know I've seen the the great photos of you out. What, What portion of the military were you in? Yeah, I was a, uh, uh, so when I got out of high school, I didn't know how I was going to pay for college. I played football in high school, but I wasn't very good. Uh, and so I talked to the army recruiter and he was like, dude, we'll give you 40,000 for college and you get to jump out of helicopter, shoot things, play Rambo. And I was like, why doesn't everybody do this? So I went in the light infantry in a rapid deployment force. And yeah, I was carrying a 32 pound air-cooled, belt-fed machine gun around my neck walking through the jungles and deserts for three years. And um, then I decided I got to go to college (laughs) because that was, that was hard. That was a hard job, but, uh, but it was good. Made a lot of, a lot of really good friends. And you, and you probably built some pretty good character. I mean, I remember I had one friend who was in the army and he, he made me wear his, uh, his, his pack that you guys Mm -hmm. wear. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'm going to hold this because if I give you the full weight of this, when I put it on your back, you're going to hit the floor and I don't want to hurt you. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to hold it and slowly let you weigh into it uh, uh, when you put it on and Holy crap. And he goes now, and I was, I was like almost on the floor with just him stabilizing it for me. And of course I'm an old man, but I don't know if I was even able to do that when I was 20, but uh, he was like, he, he was like, now imagine running through a rock at 140 degrees for five, 20 miles in this thing. And I'm just like, man, you guys are he-men. You guys are something. Yeah, we used to do a thing whenever we'd get to stop because we were light infantry. And I didn't know what that meant when I joined. Uh, it just sounded cool. Light infantry. What light infantry means is there is no vehicular support at all. So everything you need for the mission, you carry on your back. Yeah. There's no, no Humvees. There's no helicopter. I mean, every <laughs> once in a while they drop us some crap, but really it was, you carried it on your back. And, um, I mean, no kidding between the Kevlar, you know, your flak vest, your rucksack, your weapon, your ammo, your night vision goggles, your, you know, I mean, everything, your, your chemical gear, it was about 110 pounds yeah. and, and I had that 30 pound machine gun around my neck. So, uh, <laughs> my back will probably give out here pretty soon or something. I don't know. I'll be going to the <laughs> VA, but you know, I was young and, uh, I'll tell you when you talk about, um, you know, what you learn, I'll never forget the first time that we went and we, uh, uh, we headed out on a really long March. Cause again, it's light infantry and we put our, we put our packs on and we all went out. And I remember the pack was hurting. It was digging in my back. And it was, you know, I'm 18. I'm an EIOU one. I just got here. I'm with all these veteran guys. And we're, and we're marching and the pack is digging into my back and I'm stopping. I'm trying to fix it. And my squad leader, he was like a little guy, like, like 5'10", you know, 170 pounds, Sergeant Duke. And Sergeant Duke comes up and goes, what's going on, Bubba? And I was like, I, I can't, Sergeant, this pack. It's, it's not, it doesn't work like that. And he goes, let me see. He took my pack and put it on top of his pack. So it was up over like this and goes, let's go. I was the only guy in the platoon. Oh, man. Out of 40 guys not carrying a pack for the next like five miles. And we find, and he's a little guy. And we finally get there. You know, I just felt like a, like a dirt bag. Yeah, just me and, too. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and uh, after I, I realized, you know what? It's, it's all in your head. If this little guy can carry two packs, there's no reason me, you know, kind of a, a, a big size dude, 18 shouldn't be able to do it. And, uh, the one lesson I learned was 
you can do a lot more than you think you can. So that was, that was, that was one good thing I got out of it. Now, fast forward to later on in my military career, I got to where we'd be going up a hill, you know, and we'd be climbing up like, like Billy goats up this hill. Cause we always had to go to the top of the hill. I don't know why we always had to go to the top of the mountain and we would climb up there and I would see people doing the dead cockroach along the way. You know, they're laying on their back, their feet are up in the air and I would go down and scoop up their gear. And my buddy Chuck, we were Chuck and Chuck would do the same thing. And we get to the top, you know, put their gear down and put it, put a dip in. And it, it was just funny to transition <laughs> from me being the weakest link to all of a sudden saying, okay. Uh, and when you do whip that switch in your mind, now all of a sudden you're grabbing other people's gear. And it was, uh, yeah, I, I think it took the army to, to teach me that. So you segued right into the next question I had set up for you. I mean, what different lessons did you learn in the military that you took into business that, you know, help shape you. Uh, there's always a way. Yeah. I, I think that's the biggest thing, right? Is, is entrepreneurs and business uh, owners, we're going to get hit with an assortment of things that we couldn't even possibly plan for. And you can't plan for everything, but you can plan to be resourceful. Mm-hmm. And that was the one thing is that there's always a way, you know, you can try 30 things. They don't work that 31st time. You're going to feel really good because you figured out a way around that problem. I think I learned that in the military that, uh, you know, there's always a way just keep trying and, and you'll figure it out. And, and I love that because that's the same mentality I had in my business and some of the things I'm talking about in my book, my attitude was uh, there's always a way to improve something. And then the way to improve that from there, yeah, you can never uh, stop innovating, which of course is one of the names of your, uh, uh, what's the name of your magazine. Um, there's always a way we just have to find it. I used to sit around with my board and my partners and go, look, here's the issue we need to solve. You know, we're bleeding money over here, whatever. There's always a way. What's the right way? Let's, let's find out what this is. And I never took the objective that, well, I created the way, so I don't know why it's not working. Cause it's my way. I'm, I was always like, okay, I, it doesn't matter who has the ideas. There's always a better way. We got to find it. It's out there somewhere. I know it is. We've just got to, like you say, we either got to run the numbers of, of pushing buttons formulating, trying different uh, sequences, you know, and it's, it's kind of like a Rubik's cube where you got to sit there and go, okay, well that didn't work. Okay. We'll go this way. And that didn't work. And you, and you've got to, you know, I, I became a real tinker uh, in owning my own business and I'm sure you did too, because you're, you're like trying to, you're like, okay, we'll press this sequence of buttons and see if that works. And, and it's almost like a video game sometimes. I mean, I, I used to think of it kind of a video game. But, uh, so you took those lessons and then, uh, what made you want to do the magazine? Now I appeared, I think in your first magazine with Steve jobs, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So our, uh, our first magazine was, um, uh, the legacy series. We were, we just wanted to do a magazine to honor the contributions that Steve jobs had made, you know, through all the different, uh, parts of technology, even though mm-hmm. he didn't work in, you know, automobiles, there were apps in automobiles mm-hmm. and he, you know, like there was just the stuff that he and Apple brought out at the time. And I know he gets a lot of credit for, you know, probably a lot of his engineers work. <laughs> we, we know some of those people. Um, but he, you know, he really did apps and things like that. You know, the smartphone really being, uh, you know, even the iPod, you know, that these are all pretty big things. So it was just a tech magazine and it was a one-off. Um, but I mean, but what I realized, what motivated you to do that? Like what, what got you down that road? I just thought at the time he was, he was pretty iconic. You know, he died from pancreatic cancer, uh, you yeah. know, and, and you always think that when you're, you're super rich and, and you're famous and stuff, you know, you can, you can last forever. So it was, it was kind of, um, 
it was odd or it was just different that you had somebody taken, you know, uh, from us that was at the apex of their career and technology and everything, you know, he, him and Bill Gates were like this and now it's just Bill Gates. Yeah. But to me, I just, I just thought it was a really inspirational, cool story. And I thought that if we covered what he did, maybe that would inspire other people and new technologies, mm-hmm. kind of a, you know, uh, uh, whatever you celebrate, you get. So how'd you put it together? Did you go to investors or bootstrapping or? Yeah, that's a good question. So we, we came up with the concept and the idea, the distribution, you know, mm-hmm. we, we decided we would launch it at Macworld, big tie in with, with Apple fans. Um, we, we got newsstand distribution. We basically worked out the details of it before we had the money. <laughs> and, and then, and then we got on the phones awesome. and, and we started selling the advertising, you know, it was, it was completely self-funded and bootstrapped. And so in the beginning it was just nice. like me and one other person sitting on folding metal chairs, staring at each other all day long with whiteboards around us. Like, Hey, this is really going to happen. Isn't it? So you guys were selling advertising to a magazine you'd never published. Yeah. And it was going out to an event. I mean, this is, yeah. pre- this is actually pretty inspiring. Like right now, I'd have my wheels cooking if I was sitting at home and I was newly unemployed or uh, it currently being, you know, uh, set off and, and going, hey, I mean, this is, I mean, what a great way. I mean, you know, a lot of people, when they start a business, you, they either have to self-fund or they got to go find mm-hmm. investors. You guys figure out a way to pay for it. Yeah. And, and, and I, and to be fair, you know, I had, I had a little bit of money in my 401k, so I was able mm-hmm. to have some, you know, something to, you know, get an office and get some mm-hmm. phones and, you know, things like that. But, um, you know, there was no secretary. There was me and one sales guy and this poor guy, it was like his first sales job. And, mm-hmm. and how hard must it be to sell advertising <laughs> in a magazine that doesn't <laughs> exist? Never, you never, never even how been asked. Yeah, yeah. Can uh, you send me a copy? our first <laughs> oh your first time <laughs> click dude this is like when i started my uh I, I started a lot of small companies and they just never really clicked uh my first company 18 uh clicked but it was in construction and after about a year or two of that i was like this is hard yeah and working the snow on your knees and doing stucco is hard um, and it was, it was cool. It, it got the, it got, it gave me the entrepreneur drug. And once you get it, you can't go to work for anyone else. And, and so, uh, when I started her, you know, I, I'd, I'd worked for some CEOs and been an entrepreneur. We used to, what used to be my title at one of my last companies I worked at. And, uh, the CEO friend taught me how to innovate, taught me how to think out of the box, taught me a lot of great lessons. And, uh, and when I started our first company, I was just going out and using everything I'd prepped and learned for, uh, and I was going out in my suit and, and, uh, you know, I would have people say to me, they go, they go, so let me get this straight. You want us to quit the career company we're using that's been around for years and we want us, you to go, us to go with you, but you're new. And yeah. And so I'd have to sell them on the concept of the idea and really I'd have to sell them on me and that's what they bought. Mm-hmm. They bought me. Um, I don't think my partner or investors after that or boards ever appreciate anything I did. Um, I mean, I think they did appreciate it, but you know what I mean? I don't think they ever appreciate it. They wouldn't have shit if I hadn't gone out and sold me. And, yeah. and that's what the people bought. They went, you know what? I don't know who this fucking Chris Voss is. And uh-huh. I don't know, you know, whatever, but he's got the gumption and he's motivated and he talks like he knows what he's doing. Uh-huh. And it, it was it was a fake it till you make it sort of experience like what you guys did 
And, uh, and fortunately with the power of my personality at the time, I was much better looking probably than I was. Now. <laughs> but they just went, holy shit, this guy fucking walks and talks, but I spent a lot of years preparing for it too. Uh, that molded me. I used to read Harvard business review and uh, you know, every business book I could get my hands on cause I never went to college, but um, so this is interesting. So you, you launch the, you launch the thing, you think it's just going to be a one-off. You're like, okay, there you go. Then you Our goal was to- just to get it done, like get it out. This was an aggressive project. We had to get editorial. We had to get distribution. We had to get a printer. We had to sell ads because it was all 100% advertising, yeah. you know, revenue driven. And yeah, we had no, we were not looking two years down the road. We were looking like, okay, we got to get this book out for Macworld, you know, that was it. We had a hard stop because we knew, you know, if we had a booth there, people would go gaga for it with, with Steve jobs on the cover. But we also knew too, it couldn't just be about jobs. So, uh, we got Mark Cuban and we got, uh, Oh my gosh, who did we get? We got the, uh, from GE, uh, Beth Comstock. We got, um, you know, I mean, Oh, we got the guy who wrote the book, uh, Oh, his name is. Anyways, we actually got a hodgepodge of business and entrepreneurial-minded uh, influencers at the time, and somehow, some way, you know, uh, with an editor and you know some writers and designers, we we put this sucker together and we we got it out. And uh, I'll never forget the first ad we sold because you know we you don't make any money if you don't sell any ads. So you're one week in, you're two weeks in, you're three weeks in, and I'm going home to my girlfriend every day, and she's like, "Did you get a deal?" And I'm like. No, and then like you know we're, we're and, and we've got a short time timeline to turn this around or it's going to fail but i'm too stubborn to quit i've already put it out in the universe and told people i'm going to do this i'm too stubborn to quit and too dumb probably too and uh i we sold our first ad it was to invent help you know those people on tv the invent help people they're like oh, with george yeah, foreman yeah. do you have a great idea yeah. Would you like somebody to steal that idea from you? <laughs> Call Invent Help now. We can help you get that. Yeah, because I was like Steve Jobs was like the 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 we were going to do a piece on the greatest inventors of all time brought to you by Invent Help. Mm-hmm. And uh we ended up that was our first deal. I think it was like, you know, like 3 grand or something. It it wasn't a very big deal. But it was a deal. It was, it was proof of concept. Yeah. yeah. And now all of a sudden we had some belief. And that sales guy saw me do it in front of him. And he was like, I guess this is possible. And I just <laughs> looked at him like, I don't even know how I did that. <laughs> I don't know. It just, they said yes. Well, if it's it's a numbers game, but it sounds like you use the same sort of concept that you use in war. It's, it's, you don't win a war, you win battles. And really, when you think about it, you guys were just trying to get to the top of that hill, that first mm-hmm. little hill. And then you go to the next hill, and then you go yeah. to the next hill, and the hills keep getting bigger. And just keep on chewing up hills. some yardage. Yeah, <laughs> avoid the uh, <laughs> avoid the bombs. <laughs> three hills, and you got you got the uh, Charlie shooting at you from the from the yeah. little bunkers. There, it's all like Vietnam sort of scenario, tramping through the jungle. I mean, I used to tell my uh, my business partners and my uh, people that the one thing I liked about being a CEO was I always felt like whenever I started a new little business, cause I was starting these little side businesses. I get bored and um, we had three core businesses. Then I get, I'd either uh, jump into other businesses or start them up just to kind of see what would click. And I get bored. Um, and so I used to always equate myself to those, the, you know, that Vietnam sort of thing where you take some army Rangers 
and you're like, hey, man, we're just going to drop you into the fucking jungle and you're going to cut a fucking path and a fucking landing spot and we're going to bring in the gear later, but it's your job to go down there and just land in the fucking overgrowth and fucking kill off all the little enemies and shit and just and just cut a way for us to to turn this into a whole camp and shit. <laughs> That's like Tropic job. Thunder. Yeah, like <laughs> Tropic Thunder. Just drop me into the thing. Mm-hmm. It was probably just as comedic as, as the thing. But I used to love that. I used to love the creation of it, the the um the making of it and uh Well building show. things is fun. Yeah. Right? Like to me, building things, taking an idea and everybody's got ideas, right? You know, ideas a dime a dozen, right? Good ideas come along all the time, but to take an idea and actually turn it into a thing, like a tangible thing or whatever, to me, that's super exciting. And then bringing some people along on the way, you know, hiring them, getting them excited for your project is cool. What is not cool for me is once you get that thing going and it's and it's you know making money and everything like that now you got to manage it and you got to manage people and you've got like you know like there's you know, you have, we had 30 people at one time you know and it's a 30 attitudes and problems and you know people back and forth and that managing thing is not the most fun for me the building is so if yeah. i was a smart guy i'd build a company you know get a real ceo to run it and then and then you know move on to the next thing cuz you know, building is fun, but managing day to day can be a freaking nightmare. It definitely can. I, I was really lucky in my first, uh, uh, my first big foray into business, uh, where I had a, a lifetime friend and business partner and he was good at, at just, at just the mouse work, the, um, the spinning of the wheel work, the accounting uh-huh. sort of, he didn't do the accounting actually, but he, he, he was good at like, you know, all that day to day managing the mundane part. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Uh, he was good at, you know, doing the books and grunt work, you know, all the grunt work. And he was good at that. But if you came to him and said, like, there were times when I said, Hey, you know, we got to fix an area of the company. That's, uh, we got to get under control because it's bleeding out a little bit, some cash or, you know, things aren't working as sharply as we could fine tune them to, you know, I, I'd say, I'd say, Hey man, uh, I'm going to take my yellow pad and go home uh, this weekend and I'm going to come up with all these ideas. We're going to come back and have a meeting. So take your yellow pad home this weekend, write down everything you think of just anything and everything. There's no right answer. Just write it down. We're going to come back. We're going to have a meeting on Monday. 1000% of the time he would come back and I'd be like, do you got anything on your yellow pad? No, I couldn't think of anything. Like if you held a gun to his fucking head, and said, innovate something, motherfucker, or your brains get blown all over, you know, the yellow pad. Yeah. He couldn't do it. But he was a great guy, and I could trust him at the time, and uh, for about 13 years. And uh, and he would do that mundane stuff. And so we made a great team. I could be the visionary, the dreamer, the yeah. creator, and everything else. And then I could create something, and I could go, here's a widget. Have fun with it. You, yeah, and you need an execution guy. Yeah, you mean you, you need someone spends. to like take that idea and turn it into absolutely it's perfect. It's like the yin and the yang. Yeah. And if you get two idea people together, <laughs> yeah, they're you're just, screwed. They're just screwed. <laughs> you're just going around in circles with your ideas, yeah. nobody doing shit. And after that I got two executive secretaries and so they handled the HR crap and you know the the hiring, firing stuff. Although I like firing people. Um only if they deserve it. Let me make that point clear. Um, I don't like firing people if they don't deserve it. I hate that. That makes me cry. But yeah. I love firing you if you deserve it. And usually you've stolen from me or broken your contract or done some shit that 
you know, sexually harass someone in the office, then I love, then I love firing your ass. Yeah. I I'll tell you one thing that I've learned uh, to pass along here and I, and I got it from Gary V and he was right. And when he told me, I felt really stupid that I didn't see this before. So if I've got a employee or someone who's not getting the job done, um, instead of just going and, and, you know, letting them go, I would like let it drag out and drag out and drag, you know, and I just like shun them and, you know, then, then they'd like quit or whatever. It's the worst way to go about running a business. And I'll tell you why, because when you let them quit, they control the narrative. See, when you let them quit, they're like, yeah, I left that place. That place sucked. Yeah, that place was terrible. That place was horrible, right? If you fire them because you know they're not a good fit and you say, hey, listen, man, it's just not going to work. Really appreciate your efforts. You know, uh, Tell whoever you, you go to the next place to give me a call, give you a good reference. And you get them out there, they can't say, yeah, Chuck sucked. I quit. You know what I mean? Like, So if someone is not a good fit, I truly believe instead of dragging it out and letting them stay for an extra few weeks or something like that, just, just eat that frog, just go in there and, you know, a little advice. If they're not a good fit, they're probably not going to be a good fit in a couple of weeks or in another month or two months. Yeah. You know, sometimes you keep people for three months or six months and you're like, I hope that guy will quit. <laughs> they never quit, man. They dig in. No, man, uh, they'll, they'll be in there forever, man. Yeah. They'll, and they'll, they'll bitch <laughs> and they'll complain while they're there and they'll grumble. You know, they'll be a grumbler. So they'll get other people grumbling. It's oh, really yeah. important. If they're not a good fit, just go ahead and let them go. Uh, because otherwise, yeah, it's, it's, it's bad because they control the narrative. And by the way, Fire them on a Friday. It's always Fire the best day. <laughs> Fire them on the Friday. Have their desk boxed up and ready to go. As soon as they uh-huh. walk in the door, you grab them, you take them to your office, sit them down. Someone's either cleaned out their desk or is cleaning out their desk at that point in time. So there's no reason to go there. Yeah. And uh, you have your HR walk them out to the car. And yeah. uh, that's the way we found to do it because otherwise they're, you know, they're yelling and screaming and then they got to go take five hours to go through their fucking desk and make it. And there's just, there's a power move to it that kind of, it just safely cements it in everybody who said like, Hey man, uh, whatever. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm polite. I'm nice when I fire people most times. Um, <laughs> um, but I mean, I've had some people really, st- I mean, I've had a lot of salespeople and salespeople can pull some real shit. They can steal from you. Oh yeah. You know? uh, we were in the mortgage business in one of our companies. And so, we'd have guys that, you know, they'd find some other mortgage company that would take their side deals and they were basically, you know, taking our business and getting paid more by shifting our leads that we paid for and built with our telemarketing department, you know, over to this other company that would pay them more of a split. And, you know, I'd find out later from some company, they'd be like, Hey, your mortgage, I know you, your mortgage loan officer was sending deals to us. Did, did he split that money with you? I'm like, you fucking ass. So, but we would find out about it and then we'd get ugly. But, you know, I mean, there was always lawsuits going on with salespeople. Salespeople, it was funny. They would, uh, in the mortgage business, at least with our mortgage business, 50% of what you would write wouldn't close. So, I mean, sales, that's how it works. You have all these leads and you have these people to talk to, but they don't turn into money. (laughs) They would sue us in small claims court for 100% of of the orders they'd written even though a lot of them, you know, and usually if they were bad salespeople, you know, they're running shitty orders anyway. So they weren't going to close. They were just trying to show the numbers that they were doing some work on Chris Voss's yeah. quota board. You know, I, I turned in 10 deals this month, Chris, so don't fire me. Give me my yeah. draw check. Yeah. But 
you know, that's the thing. But I, I, I really think that when people go into business, they should do what we, we just got done talking about, uh, looking at what their strengths are as their character. Cause there's some people that are CEOs that are just good managers. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran into a company recently that we both know of that I won't name. And they come from a very nerdy tech background and they're really good at building uh, different TV stuff that uh, uh, is really good for nerdy. And they, they've worked on the back of, of techno for, I think a, a couple other sort of TV sort of based oriented units, but there's this, being a CEO and understanding the customer service aspect of it and everything else. I was just, blown away by and i'm just like you this really is not the job for you and so i think a lot of people need to need to um take and take and look at their strengths look at Mm -hmm. their partner's strengths or their board strengths or people they're doing business with or at least who you're hiring to work under you uh and and try and figure out where that balance is the yin and the yang you've got to you've got to have that person who spins the plates and then you've Mm -hmm. also got to have that creative visionary type so well, and, and you bring up a good point, Chris, because when I first started, um, I had that kind of military mentality of, you know, and remember, like, it, they had to break me, right? I had to break in the military, and then they could build me up into this, you know, I ended up winning, you know, several awards as a soldier and stuff like that. I was soldier of the quarter, soldier of the quarter for battalion. They pulled me up to HHC to work with, like, you know, really big wigs because I shined because I let them break me. I was, I stopped fighting it, right? And I said, if I'm going to be here for three years, I can fight it the whole time. I'm going to be miserable or I can just play GI Joe, just go all in. Right. And so I went all in and I knew that everybody that was in charge of me, if I listened to them and I did it and I didn't fight back or whatever, that I was going to be a better soldier. I'd be better part of a team. Mm -hmm. So when I got out and started my companies, I had that kind of Steve Jobs mentality. You know, Steve Jobs had a reputation Speaking of, you know, our, our first magazine, he, he was, he was, a, he was an asshole to work for. He was, he was a prick. Um, but he also had a reputation for getting shit done. Yeah. So there's that fine line between, are you a nice guy or are you a dick, but you get stuff done. And, and, uh, when I started out, I was kind of like, look, it's my way or the highway. And I was kind of that Steve jobs type, uh, military type, you know, football coach type. Um, where I cared about my people very much, but I also was just very to the point. And matter of fact, I didn't sugarcoat things and I expected, yeah, I expect I was a drill sergeant in the reserves. Yes, literally I was a drill sergeant. So I, um, that didn't work for very long. It only worked (laughs) for a little bit and then it stopped working. And I realized it's it's, people start going AWOL on you. Yeah. They start, you know what I mean? Chuck's a dick, you know, everything like that. And you know, I kind of was, and I've, I've since worked on changing my leadership style Mm -hmm. to be a lot more because, because millennials are different. Millennials are different people to hire and to work with. And, and I think that, you know, me, I'm, I'm generation X. So I figure, you know, we just, we just shut up and we get it done. Right. But millennials, if you say something to them in a way that they perceive as being shitty, they will lose the message and be pissed off because of the way you talk to them. And I realized that you have to have a different management style nowadays you know, you can't say, you can't joke like you used to, you can't, you know, I mean, everything is different and I'm not saying, you know, better or worse. Cause you know, if you've seen a movie like, uh, 
uh, Wolf of Wall Street. You know, mm-hmm. I've been on sales floors kind of like that. Okay. Like just yeah, craziness, yeah. salespeople, you know, big deals, big commissions, Cocaine. craziness, <laughs> debauchery. Yes. Yes. Right. <laughs> debauchery. And, and now you fast forward to now and leadership styles, you know, people are working from home. Uh, people, uh, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a lot different. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I learned to change my style be, instead of just saying this is the way it is and blah, blah, blah. Because if you do that, you're not going to have anybody that wants to work for you. And, yeah. and, and I couldn't have got where I am today. And, and you know, not that where I am is anything you know, really that special or that great. I mean, we've got a media company. We've got Gee, magazines. Three magazines. Holy shit. I, I have three magazines. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all on the, the, the backs of all the people that work with me. You know, uh, and, 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 and I cannot, I cannot not give credit to, you know, when we, we started selling that first issue, um, and I couldn't, you know, I had one sales guy, <laughs> poor guy, and he eventually left and, and, uh, you know, it was hard to get someone to come in to do this particular type of sale. I reached back to guys I'd worked with in the past. And it was kind of like the A team. We just started pulling them in. You know, one guy was working on a fishing boat and one guy was selling cars and one guy was, and we pulled them all together and was like, guys, we've got six weeks to go. We've got to sell this much in advertising. Are you in? And they were like, let's go, you know? And so it was the A team. Did you get the van? Did you we get the had van? the van. We had the crazy guy, Hannibal, you know what I mean? It's an animal. And, and it was, uh, uh, it, it, and we got it done. So it, it really, you really do have to have good people. Um, and you know, um, I, we learned a lot, you know, going through the business growing and stuff like that. Car sales guys are the best to, to move into any other industry. If you can get them to stay in it, especially, really? use, especially use car sales. I've yeah. seen time. I would say timeshare salespeople. Yeah, those those, those guys, are, guys are beasts. If you can sell timeshares yeah. over the phone, you yeah. can sell like salt to a snail, you know? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's. It's uh, but yeah, but then you see they have the biggest issues where you're like, they'll call you and be like, yeah, I'm in a limo right now with some hookers in an eight ball, yeah, yeah. fucking time. And you're like, hey, well, can you show up at the office someday and do some work? Yeah, man. All right, dude. Um, the uh, you know, they <laughs> usually I failed a lot of sales guys out of jail. Out of jail, <laughs> I was just going to the next level. We, yeah, one yeah. we almost, one we almost paid for him to go to Mexico. We were yeah. like, he's going away for five years. We're like, dude, we could set you up down <laughs> there. Just, he's like, no, I'm gonna go. go. This is true. <laughs> yeah, I I used to have a lot of that where you you get that you're like, up oh, there's the county jail number. Okay, <laughs> looks like Chris is getting up in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. going downtown and bailing out salesman number one because he's worth you know several an end of the company yeah <laughs> you know, he takes in about 50 grand a month i guess i'm getting out of bed but, but um, it's not that different than like a sports team you know if you've got a great player on your team and he's now listen if he's the last guy on the team the bottom of the bench Oh, and yeah, he goes out, he guy. gets in trouble. That guy's gone, right? Yeah, yeah. But if he's like your best player or something like that, you're going to give him a little bit of leniency, yeah. you know, when they have uh, That's when you take the county jail call and you're like, uh, oh, what? Oh, it's Bob? Uh, <laughs> hey, breaking up, man. Yeah, I think that's uh, What? Hey, where are you? Where are you, where are you at? I don't care what you did. Uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, hang on. Let me call you back. You hang up and he's going, you can't call me back. I'm at the jail. <laughs> I'll call you. Yeah, <laughs> those are the days. So the adventures of starting new business. So you guys launched um, Innovation Tech today. Now is it a monthly? No, quarterly. Quarterly, quarterly now. 
which so ironically enough ended up being smart back at the mm-hmm. time. Everyone's like, you can't do a quarterly. You can't do a quarterly. You can't do a quarterly. And then before I had worked in sports, we did annuals. I was like, why can't you do a quarterly? Now, if you see these magazines that are coming out and there actually are magazines still coming out, I know it's weird, uh, but they're quarterly, you know, and because it's not the breakneck uh, pace of doing a weekly or a monthly, those guys are dead, but a quarterly, you can, you can put it out, make it a nice coffee table magazine. And that's what we decided to do. And you can really probably fill it with ads, get, you know, the thing I've seen you guys have had, uh, name some of the other people you guys have had in the magazines over the years. You, you've had guys some really cool uh, people on the cover. Yeah. Yeah. So we've had Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Uh, we had Kevin Hart. We had uh, James Cameron, the director. Uh, we had uh, Olivia Munn. Um, we've had Bear Grylls. We've had, um, oh, well, all the sharks from Shark Tank. You know, uh, uh, we've had just about every one of them except for Barbara. Uh, we have Michio Kaku, uh, the, uh, the scientist. We've had, I mean, behind me, we've got uh, our boy, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson cosmos you know and a lot of times we have tie-ins with tv shows or movies that are coming out or whatever um so we do a story about that and you know they're doing a press tour but yeah no man we've had big names in fact we've we've got a list of probably like a hundred uh that you would look at and go wow like we've gotten them you know what i mean I, i can look with my daughter and there's a person on a show and i'm like yeah we got them we got them which is interesting because we're not uh sports illustrated or time or wired yeah. magazine we were innovation and in tech today well even now <clears throat> there's a lot of opportunity now if people that are watching the show can come up with their own entrepreneurial ideas even right now i realized that we needed to go more into the podcast make more podcasts and invite more high profile guests on and probably the same for you you know all these movie stars and shit are just sitting around you know, and they're doing stupid Zoom appearances everywhere. They're they on can. Twitter, getting yeah. into Twitter I mean, battles. Yeah, there's no, there's no filming going <laughs> on. There's nothing going on, and these nothing. people, you know, no they're business used to trips, some attention, and no conferences, no, conferences. no expos, no awards shows. There yeah. is literally nothing but them at home and probably their kids driving them crazy. Yeah. I mean, we've got a new podcast, the Resistance Radio podcast that uh, we flipped over from Chris Foss's podcast on politics. I just like the name better. And so it's still kind of a new political podcast. And so I started reaching out to like, you know, local politicians that are running for office coming in November, trying to support the, uh, of course, the blue wave. Uh, Obviously, it's called the Resistance Radio. Yeah. And um, they're kind of like, well, you know, uh, what, who are you and what are you doing? I'm like, hey, man, we're getting the exposure because right now all your stupid candidates are sitting at home. I don't mean stupid, but, you know, all your candidates are sitting at home, <laughs> uh, not getting exposure. They can't go out and, and shake hands and kiss babies. Uh, the last thing you could do is kiss babies right now, probably. Uh, no so they can't do any of that politician. Them. So, yeah, you've got you've to get these people exposure. And, of course, when you appear on any of the Chris Foss Show properties on, on, the, on the network, you know, you get like, I mean, every show has got like, I don't know, 20 freaking syndication sites. Mm-hmm. So you're on Spotify and everything else and just floods it. I'm like, let's get them exposure. And they're like, okay, cool, man. So I think we well, have like the attorney, I think we have the governor nominate, nominate governor for uh, Utah coming on uh, next week. So that'd be good. But this is a great time to take advantage of some of this media. It's, it's a, it's an incredible time. And, and if people are listening and thinking of starting a podcast, you know, we had, we had this magazine innovation and tech today. And then a couple of years ago, we did a couple spinoffs. Uh, we did a, a residential tech 
magazine and we did a cannabis tech magazine. Mm -hmm. Same format, quarterly, uh, you know, print, digital, tied in with events, newsstand distribution, same kind of deal. We figured we would just kind of like duplicate it or whatever, but we did know that we needed to have a podcast. And so about a year ago uh, at one of the big cannabis events, I got one of those little tiny mics. I, I, I got three people that said, hey man, you want, you want to be on our podcast? And we hadn't even Again, here we are. We had no podcast. The podcast was not real. That we, I just had a microphone and some people, and we sat it down in a little on podcast row, and I started cranking out uh, interviews and you know giving them to my guy, and he edited them up, and then he created the accounts and he got them out there. So we're about thirty episodes later. Um, and we've had great guests. I mean, really good guests, and yeah. I've gotten a lot better. You know, I was one of them. Yes, yes, you were. <laughs> Uh, and I look back on it now and I, and to the people listening, just do it. Just crank out the content in the beginning. Even if you suck, it's okay. Uh, if you talk to anybody that's a stand up comedian, they'll tell you, look, you have to suck before you can get good. You don't just start out being, you know, uh, Jerry Seinfeld or, or Kevin Hart or something. You have to suck to get good. And the same thing, podcasts, the same thing, being a business owner, you're going to take some lumps in the beginning. Just stick with it and go and don't listen to the, uh, to the noise. And one day you'll look back. We just got an award today uh, for our, our podcast on the cannabis magazine, Cannabis Tech Talks, which was surprising because we just made that up in the beginning. And those first episodes are probably not very good, but we have gotten better. And so, it, yeah, it's, it's worth it to uh, just get out there and make that content. And, and you're right. You can get anybody right now during the pandemic. Everybody's at home. There's a lot of opportunity. Like <clears throat> that's what we've been talking about on the Chris Foss show for a while now is some of the uh, different ideas that are born out of it. My first company was successful. We started with $2,000 and a lot of sweat equity. Uh, the year and a half later, we started a second company on top of the first company because I was born and I wanted to get into white collar instead of blue collar. And I started a mortgage company with $4,000 that we were supposed to, you know, pay taxes with. And I'm like, I bet you that I can, I can turn this $4,000 around be able to pay my taxes on time and create a new business with the money. And, you know, we had like a quarter to do it and I did it. Um, both companies were profitable within the first three months because they were so uh, cheaply funded and most of it was sweat equity using our own cars, our own stuff, um, mm -hmm. working from home. And so there wasn't a lot of overhead. And so all the profits that we made just went right back into building the company. We were able to grow yeah. exponentially and build them into super companies. Um, and, uh, and you know, you, you bring up a good point that I try and teach a lot of people. I, I would always see these people in business. They're like, I'm going to start my own business. And you're like, well, why, why have you started? And you're like, well, I'm working on the business plan. <laughs> and you're like, you've been working on that business plan for a fucking two years now. <laughs> I've never had a business. <laughs> it's on my to-do list. I swear to God, Chris. You it's and I been are on like, my list for six years. Do the you business and I are like plan. thirty years into business, and we're just like, yeah, I should write one down. You really days. need a business plan. You know, I mean, most of it's in my head, and it's really not mm -hmm. that complicated. I mean, I remember bring we, in more than you spend. <laughs> I remember, and this is and this is really true. And, and this goes to the point that you brought in earlier. So hopefully that goes through the segue here, but you, you brought in earlier about how you, you just got to do it. You just got to go for it. And I remember we started our first company and it was regulated at the time. This is before Clinton deregulated the trucking industry. And so at the time, the courier business that we got into 
was regulated by a local department commission for the state of Utah. And, and they regulated trucking, couriers, and airlines. And so you had to create what was called a tariff, which was this giant book. And you see like, you know, if you've ever seen the schedules that the Uh airline puts out and they have these books, they have to publish them. Um, But you would have to submit to the commission this giant fucking tariff thing. And it had to be in, if you've ever seen legal pros for Uh legal pleadings that you have to submit to a court, like they have their own pain in the ass way that those have to be presented and typed out. The commission took it to like the whole new level because these guys were just guys sitting around going, we got to figure a way to validate our fucking jobs so they can never fire us. And so you had to write this thing and put like a hash down the whole side of the page. If you didn't have the hash down the side of the page and have the shit spaced out right, you know, 20 spaces. I mean, the format was fucking insane, dude. It was like a scientific fucking formula. And if you turn in a tariff that wasn't like totally spaced and tip top tip top perfected yeah. the way they want it you know oh you didn't put the date on the right fucking line then that thing would get kicked back and then you'd have to go retype the motherfucking things to resubmit it it was a nightmare and we used to go into their offices and you'd see like stacks this tall of the airlines their uh, tariffs uh, that they you know they put forth for their schedule and pricing and so we would do all the shit and i remember we were trying to get our application <clears throat> and they'd be like Okay, uh, to get your application approved for your license, you've got to give us a 12-month cash flow uh, of what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. So we were starting out from scratch. So I wrote this thing and I said, you know, hey, we're using our own cars. So, you know, we're not buying trucks. We're doing everything from home. And, you know, we're totally, you know, totally, um, uh, you know, know, we're we're, we're doing this from bootstrap. So they had never seen that. You know, they were used to couriers like Wells Fargo and, and these big companies that come in, Pony Express that come in, you know, they're funded by big corporations, you know, FedEx, they got buy a bunch of trucks and shit. And they're just like, what? And so I wrote the, I wrote the front page and then I submitted this really cheap boilerplate, uh, not boilerplate, but this, this budget of bootstrap. It was like, okay, we're going to take this $2,000 and then we're going to turn it there. And I, I just kind of gave a conservative estimate because that's how I am. Cause I'm not going to like, sell a bunch of bullshit like yeah we're gonna make like 10 million dollars in the first year or something so we submitted it to them and they rejected it and they said this was the i still have the letter framed it's somewhere around my office or one of my boxes but i still have the letter framed and they literally wrote me back and said this is like the biggest joke application we've ever seen like you can't even be serious this thing will never fucking work uh, and they, they just shit all over in this letter. And that's why it's yeah. still framed because it actually became a 13 year joke. Um, <clears throat> and they said, it'll never fly, you know, all that sort of shit. I think, uh, I think, uh, it was like, it was like, it was like the IBM Watson guy who said, CEO who said, there's no way that anyone would need personal computers in the world. No. They just need supercomputers. They don't need personal computers. It's stupid. So it was like that. So I went down to their office and I sat down with the guy and I said, look, and I, and I used my personality and I learned, used my power of, of selling. And I sold him on the idea and I said, look, here's how it's going to go. I gave him the whole vision. I wanted to tear his throat out, but I fortunately didn't do that. And so I said, I said, so here, so what can I do? He goes, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to go make this bullshit PNL of like, you're going to make like all this money. He goes, I have to have you make an sh- pretend that you're going to have to make enough money for us to justify, to give you the license. 
And so I basically had to go lie and just be like, we're going to make 10,000 the first month and 20 and 30. And we're going to make 4 million by the end of the year. And it's going to be like all this profit coming out of our ass. We're going to buy these cars. And like, I just had to like, just like make up all this bullshit was a total lie. And I knew after all the businesses I'd started and, and, and business that I helped there, there was no way that that sort of exponential growth would happen. Not without a huge capital influx. And, and, uh, but yeah, you fake it till you make it, uh, get to the top of the hill. And, uh, yeah, after that, they gave us our license, but man, if we'd sat around and said, Oh God, we got to put a, uh, we got to put a master plan together. Uh, you know, and, and I see, I see so many people that are like, I'm starting a business. And you're like, you've been saying that for three years. Well, I'm just get I'm just getting ready. Yeah. It's, it's afraid of making a mistake when yeah. here's the kicker. Okay. And now this is, this is my turn to bring up something that's going to make me look a little tiny bit smart. There's a, there's a book out there and it's called the talent code. Mm. And the idea behind the talent code, I don't remember who wrote it, but you look it up. It's a, it's a great book. The idea behind it is it's impossible to reach a level of mastery, to be really, really good, to be outstanding at something without failing. So you want to fail and it sounds crazy because a lot of people that want to start a business that like you just said, you know, they've been three years, five years, you know, I've got, I've owned a domain name for seven years talking about this idea I'm going to do that I haven't done anything with that I'm going to start next week. Um, And it's that same thing. It's that fear of doing it wrong or not doing it right or whatever. That is, that is, that will kill you. Mm-hmm. As an entrepreneur, as a business person, as an idea person, whatever, you have to basically do, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's like ready, fire, aim. You know, you've got to just do it. And, and that talent code, you know, that whole thing is you have to fail and learn from those fails a lot of times. But then what happens is your brain starts rewiring. And all of a sudden, you now have got those threads going back and forth. And now you're pretty good. And now you've got confidence. And now you can start reaching that level of mastery where you can be great, whatever it is, your business, your podcast, you know, selling advertising, whatever it is. Um, but you have to go through that and you have to embrace the suck because there's going to be times that suck and you have to just, as a military term, embrace the no, suck. You, you know, know it's going to suck. Charles, this should be your book. When you come out with a book, this should be the title, Embracing <laughs> embrace the, the Suck. suck. Because yeah. it's coming, you know, don't pretend uh, it's like if you run the hurdles in high school and track, you don't get surprised when you come around the corner and there's a big hurdle in front of you. You're like, where did that come from? No, it's, it's part of the, the event. I think you got a fourth uh, business magazine there. Remember in the eighties, they used to have success magazine. Forbes yeah. was big, you know, Forbes was like, I don't know, half an inch thick or an inch thick. Uh, you know, there's all these, all these crazy business magazines that are coming out every week. You know, I think this is your fourth magazine, embrace the suck magazine. That's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> of course, embracing the suck could probably also work as a motto for your cannabis. Right. That's pretty, that's a pretty good pun embracing there. The bond suck. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, the talent code by Daniel Coyle, greatness isn't born. It's grown. Here's mm. how. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, Tom Peters actually. And I read a lot of Tom Peters in preparing to start my own companies. Um, but he, it looks like he gave it a plug. Uh, but yeah, I mean, people just realize it's, it's just one of those things. It's almost kind of like being a parent. I mean, yeah, you can prepare as much as you want for being a parent, 
but nothing's going to fucking prepare you for when the first time you see that baby come out Mm -hmm. and then, you know, you're not sleeping for the next five years. Mm Yeah. (laughs) You got diapers and pee and poop coming at you and vomit. Well, and oh man, yeah. Projectile vomit (laughs) and things you'd never seen a human come out of a human. But I will tell you this. um, I also was kind of obsessed and you'll hear that a lot of people that are, you know, eventually get to a very high level of their, their field or whatever. It, it's, it's not just a job. It becomes, you become obsessed. I was obsessed with uh, entrepreneur minded. Like I started listening to like Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, subscribing to newsletters, reading the books. I was taught by my sales managers, everybody needs a personal development library. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a, I had freaking tapes, Chris. Okay. I had a cassette collection of Brian Tracy, the psychology of sales. And I would listen to that shit. And I, I created my own little library of personal development stuff. And I'm telling you that stuff works because you're going to need something to get you through from one pitfall to the next. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is just enough. You know, you still got to do the work. You still got to have good strategy. Like Tony Robbins would say, you know, you got to have strategy. You've got to be in a good state. Uh, but you also have to, you have to have something that can, can be an uh, inspiration or a role model to keep you going because I didn't have those role models in my life. My yeah. parents weren't entrepreneurs. My grandparents, you know, my grandpa was in the national guard. My dad, he was a really hardworking guy, but he was like a service manager at an auto shop. You know, they, they weren't entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So it was these tapes and these books and that gave me the, the belief and sports and the army that gave me that belief that, okay, you can do a lot more than you think you can. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people don't start a business because there's that little, that little voice, you know, in their head, that little person on their shoulder who's going, but what if you fail? But what if you fail? What if it doesn't work? Well, you know, if, who gives a shit, right? If it doesn't work, you know, you don't know if you don't try. And you learn, and, you learn a lot from your failures. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully people are smart and they learn a lot from our failures. And that's what we used to do. I mean, we used to go, okay, well, that didn't work. Yeah. And I even had a few great CEOs that taught me some real things about retesting stuff to see if it still doesn't work um, and how to tinker and how to, you know, and sometimes it's just a combo. It's, it's yeah. like a, it's like cracking a safe. Sometimes you got to sit there and go, okay, well, four segment. No, no, that's not going to pull the lever. Okay. Let's uh, use this combo. It's like a science experiment. Did you ever do one where, you know, you mix this with this and you just want to see what happens. And then you're like, Whoa, that's cool. Like it's kind of fun. That's yeah. sort of like taking your ideas and taking the resources you have, putting them together and being like, is this thing going to work? You know, it's, it's kind of like a real life experiment. And when it works, it's very, um, awesome. Yeah, it feels really good because a lot of times too, while you're doing this, people are telling you it's never going to work. You're never going to make it. I remember when I left, when I left my first job to start my my own company in 2002, uh, you know, I was making well over six figures. I was one of the top guys. I was, I was, they were grooming me. You know, I was a lieutenant. They were grooming me to come up very high in the organization. I had done really well. And I left to start this thing. And they said, I heard when I left that they were like, yeah, he'll be back. He's going to end up making minimum wage out there. He'll be back. And when I heard that, all of a sudden I was like, Oh, Oh, it's going to be like that. And those competitive (laughs) juices were going, there's no way I was going to come slinking back, you know? And to this day, we've got great relationships. You know, my old boss, I I owe him a ton of, you know, he taught me, he mentored me. 
And so I owed him a, a lot, but I also eventually had to leave and start my own thing. And there were a lot of people on the sideline, you know, with their, with their arms crossed going, Oh, they'll never make it. Those guys are going to fail. So it felt extra special good to do it. When people tell you that you can't, you can use that as, as fuel, you know, like right mm -hmm. now, the last dance uh, with Michael Jordan is, is really big right now. Cause we have no sports, but when you go back and look at, and I don't even, I didn't even like the bulls. But you go back and look at Michael Jordan and how much he overcame and how much, unlike any other person, he could, he would make up a reason to get pissed at someone so he could go out and drop 50. And that was his mentality, you know, like, uh, and I think for entrepreneurs, you got to have that same kind of thing. You got to be able to motivate yourself yeah. on those days that you don't feel like going into the office all alone, making those calls. You got nothing on the board. You got to find something to light a fire under your ass. And it helps if you have haters because that will, that might push you through on one day when you think about quitting. I remember, I remember there was a story about when Michael Jordan played uh, in the Olympics and there was some story game where he did like, he did by halftime, he had done like 45 points by halftime and they go in and the coach at the time is like, what the fuck do you say to Michael Jordan to get him to go to the next level? Like he just did 45 points in yeah. half a game. Yeah. He's like, I don't remember what it is exactly, but he's like, what do you say to him at that point? Like, well, you know, thanks. You, you pretty much got the game for us. And, but he, you know, he ended up saying something, Michael Jordan to fire him up again. He said something like, you need to rebound more and pass the ball or something. And he's something, something to get Michael fired up. And, so uh, why do you, why do you think that? Uh, and that's a really good point. Um, my favorite player was, was magic Johnson of all time. Johnson, my, my amazing. favorite player, like I'm a Sonics fan. So I love Gary Payton and Sean Kemp and you know, the, uh, the Sonics were great RIP the Sonics. Um, but, but when I was growing up, magic Johnson, yeah. was the best player because he made everybody around him better. He was showtime. He could pass. He could rebound. He could score. I mean, I thought he was amazing, but Magic Johnson was not a good coach. <laughs> Michael Jordan, they, he tried. He was a coach for like a year or something like yeah. that, right? Michael Jordan, I think, I could be wrong. Uh, whoever's listening, they can Google it. I think. Did he try to coach or something? I, maybe I don't know if he coached. I know he owned. Didn't he own the Washington? He, he was a part owner. Yeah, and he was like an owner player or whatever. Yeah. But you know, if you look at great players, Larry Bird, I think coached for a minute, <laughs> and and all of these greats, like like incredible players, they were shitty coaches. <laughs> Because it's like they would be like, hey, just crank it up to this level like I did as a player. And those players are like, I don't know how to get to that level. That's yeah. something special that, you know, these these great iconic players have that they just go, well, do what I did. Yeah. And, and players don't. It seems like great coaches, especially mm -hmm. in baseball, a lot of times were like backup journeymen type players who had to learn everything about the game to just make it and stick. And so they end up becoming good, uh, you know, good, good managers or good coaches, but superstars, it's very rare that you see a superstar yeah. become a great yeah. coach. I learned how do you coach people. someone? To, yeah. How do you do that? I learned with salespeople in my business too. If you have a great salesman, you don't make them a sales manager. You will ruin them. They'll suck at being a sales manager and then they can never go back. And then, yeah. you know, cause they're like, I'm a manager now. I'm no longer yeah. that sales dude. And, but you, you leave them that sales dude and they're just monsters. So what they do, if they're great salespeople. Um, so you've got the cannabis today. I feel you. I think we started, you started cannabis today 
the magazine about the same cannabis time. Cannabis and Tech Today. Cannabis and Tech Today. Mm-hmm. And then I, I started Pop Biz Podcast because I could see that we were starting to have people on the show, on the Chris Voss show. They yeah. were coming and talking about investing in pot, the burgeoning stock market for stock yeah. that was out there. Uh, Canada, you know, went huge where they uh, legalized pot. Um, you know, I'm not a big pot. got to stop calling it pot. Yeah, okay, marijuana. We don't like pot. We like cannabis. Cannabis, all right. Yeah, yeah, pot and, and marijuana are kind of like those slangs that, those slangs. you know, back in Reefer Madness and stuff like that. Cannabis. I had to call it Pot Biz uh, Podcast because I, I had to get the Twitter to fit yeah. the 13. <laughs> yeah, limited, uh, limited <laughs> yeah, number the of characters. Limited things. And plus, you know, you, you had to have something catchy that people mm-hmm. could remember because I don't even think half the people who smoke cannabis can spell it. So um, that's just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard one to spell. I mean, I I'm not even sure I can spell it. Yeah. And marijuana, I mean, where's the J? Yeah, I can't even spell calendar. That messes oh. me up. All that C A L E N C A L A N calendar. Calendar. Yeah, I'm not a good. I think so. I could be wrong. No, we could be like everyone in the audience is laughing us right now. These two dipshits don't even know how to spell calendar. Do you know what's funny is we had innovation in tech today. And I'm here in Denver, right? I'm, I'm right now, uh, I've been in Denver for about 10 years. And we're here with Innovation in Tech today. We wanted to spin off a cannabis tech magazine, but we couldn't come up with the name. And we were just fumbling it. Like we were, you know, and we, we, we used beer, we used cannabis, we used everything we could to inspire greatness. We'd write things down. We'd have, you know, brainstorming sessions. And for like months, we couldn't come up with the name. And then one moment, it just hit me. We have innovation and tech today. I was like, cannabis and tech today? And go. I like texted everyone. I was, it, it just was it. It was the fa- And then residential tech today, all of a sudden the it's names the kind family. of fit in. Yeah. yeah, it was a family. And why were we making it so hard? Like, oh my God, we were, like you, you know, we were like, oh, <laughs> cannabis business magazine. Can- you know, what the hell are we going to call this? And it was right there in front of us the whole time. You know, I just had to look. And there's some people that do that with their business too. They'll spend years trying to come up with the perfect name. And I remember a couple of companies that we had, I had the business model in my head, so I knew what we were going to do. And uh, we had the money from our other companies to go start it. And I would literally have the office paid for, uh, the phones coming in. I'd have everything set up to, to do the business. Uh, and we didn't have a name. And I'd literally be like, I don't, it, you, I'd tell my board, I'm like, you guys going to come up with a fucking name because I can't yeah. come up with one. Uh I'm going to name it Shit Show Incorporated, but tomorrow I'm going down. This happened like I remember twice. I go, I'm going down to the Department of Corporations to file the paper and get the stamp on this damn thing, and I'm leaving blank the name because we don't have one, but I am forming this damn company, and I need a name by morning because at 9 a.m. I will be at the window at the Department of Corporations for the stamp, and... (laughs) And I'll, I'll name it anything at that point. I don't give a yeah. shit. Yeah. And I remember there was one company that I named, uh, and within 30 days we renamed it because people just gave me blowback on the name, and and they just were like, "No, this this really doesn't work for this market." And so we flipped the name, but we had the business going, and mm-hmm. we had it running, and you know we were moving to the top of the hill. You know we weren't we weren't trying to figure out well should we clear the weeds before we go to the top of the hill. A lot, a lot of the experts now that you listen to will tell you the name isn't shit. You know, I remember Gary V saying, look, it's Tim freaking Hortons. 
Okay. Yeah. It's Tim Hortons. Okay. The name doesn't mean what does shit. What does that mean? Yeah. Uh, but I will say this, get, get the opinion of a lot of people around you, bounce some things off. You know, you've got your circle. I remember me and my friends, uh, before we were doing tech, we did sports programs. So I did the programs for major college bowl games, um, uh, the world series league championships, NASCAR, uh, PGA golf, right? We did those same kind of deal. Just it was sports programs instead of tech magazines. Mm -hmm. And we were getting ready to start our own business. And we were got, we were like, let's call it ISM intersports marketing. You know, we were like playing around with these names, trying to figure out, you know, these really cool. And when my girlfriend at the time, she goes, why do you want to pigeonhole yourself in sports? Mm -hmm. Why don't you call it something like mainstream media? And I was like, mainstream media international. So we started MMI. It was a multi-million dollar company doing sports programs and, you know, working with the really, really big events. Like we did the official program for the orange bowl or for the, uh, the fiesta bowl or for whatever. Um, and we got to go to the games and we sold it. You know, it was a lot of fun, but she was right. Mainstream media international MMI. Uh, you could apply yourself to anything. It wasn't just sports. And so, yeah, I don't know how important a name is, um, but get something that you can really, you know, sink your teeth into because that's going to be your identity when you don't have mm -hmm. a real, real business and real legacy or anything like that. You do kind of just make it up in your head and start speaking it into existence. Yeah. And keeping it general, I mean, you, names used to be kind of important back when you used to have to buy yellow pages Yeah, and everyone would try to be, you know, a, aardvark a, a plumbing you know? yeah aardvark you, know, you gotta be that first guy on the fucking line there in the yellow pages book yeah but now that doesn't matter anymore and and really it's about your brand uh you know you bring up a good thing on naming the thing years ago in 2009 we were coming up with the chris foss show concept and everyone's like you know you got to start a social media company and marketing and consulting and all this sort of stuff the agency what are you going to call it? I'm like, oh, call it social media this, social media that. And, you know, by then everyone scooped everything up. Um, and uh, I'm like, well, fuck, man, what are we going to call this? Social media marketing. And now, 10 years later in, where a lot of social media is kind of second hat. And so I'm so glad I didn't name it social media anything. Um, but uh, I finally just one day saw some people and I was like, should I call it the Chris Voss Show? And then I got thinking about it. I'm like, the Chris Voss Show. Because I, I, one of my qualms was like, I don't know that I want to be talking about social media for 10 years. Because to me, social media is really simple. It's media that's social. It's not like, like I've seen like all these people and there's brilliant people that turn into a science and stuff. But really when it fucking comes down to it, it's yeah. just media that's social. That's mm -hmm. it. You don't have to, you know, it's not an algebra problem. Um, it's marketing. Mm -hmm. social media um and so you know I, I had people say well you just you just got in early no i didn't i come from a marketing sales background i marketed my companies i built companies all i did was go oh it's a different form of advertising yeah there's a lot of people that came in when you did and they have two thousand followers today you know <laughs> it's not just that you came in early there's a little mix been. that's got to go you know into this and yeah. if you leave one element out it's like yeah. a recipe you know what i mean you might have yeah. all the ingredients in there but if you put it in the oven for too long yeah. you're gonna screw it up or if you put it in the oven at the wrong temperature so even though you up, had the right ingredients you can uh you know you're gonna so screw then it up hit that upon me i was like if i call the chris voss show I can change it in five years or I can change it in 10 years. I can, it's because the Chris Voss show is what the fuck Chris Voss wants the show about. 
I think it's a great name. Whatever Chris wants to talk about. Well, I think so too. But it's it sounds authoritative. <laughs> You've got Chris Voss show. It's one syllable, the one syllable. It's show. nice. Yeah. yeah I think you did all right. It's a long. The only problem is people get the S's mixed up. I don't know why it is. People love to write me and they love, you can see the name right here. People will take and put two S's on the Chris and one S on the Voss. Like your Chris Angel. Like, yeah, like who the, f- maybe it was Chris Angel who does he have two S's for me. I think he does. I think yeah. you're right. He has Chris. But, but I have these people like, and Chris Angel's probably the only guy in the fucking world who's got two S's at the end of Chris. Mm-hmm. Like I've known five trillion Chris's. We all have the same spelling right here, except there yeah. might be a, like a K if you're a girl or something like K-E-R-I-S or you know, something like that. But not Chris is pretty standard. Yeah. And also I have people write me and they, they must be dyslexic because they just take the yes from the Voss part and they flip it to the double S. Yeah. Or they're just Chris Angel fans. Maybe I should start pulling them. People course, butcher the name of our magazine all the time. People are like, yeah, he's with Innovative Tech Magazine. They're like, he's with Innovation Technology Tomorrow. They're like, he's, <laughs> he's, with, he's with Cannabis Technology. And they just butcher it like it's so yeah. butchered. And I, and I just go along with it. And you know what's funny is we named the magazine too, right? Because our first issue that you were in was the legacy series, you know, uh, Steve Jobs, whatever. It was like a commemorative one-off, you know, no big deal. We had to come up with a name that would work uh, quarter after quarter. And what were we going to cover? It's funny. I got an old shirt back here that's got my advertisers from back then. And we put like, we we finally named it Innovation and Tech Today because we figured if someone sees that name on a magazine, they will know exactly what the hell's in it, mm-hmm. right? It, it's innovation and tech today. You're going to know what's in there. And people all the time are just like, so what, what's the magazine about? And, and I'm like, it's, it's innovation and tech, and tech today. today. <laughs> and there was one girl one time, she's like, you know what you should name the magazine? And we, we've already been out for a couple of years. And it just was like, oh, yeah, what? Tell me. Because people love to help you. Uh, she's like, you should name it innovation and tech tomorrow. And I was like, hmm. Isn't the innovation, though, the tomorrow part, technically, <laughs> when you think about it? Yeah. I mean, it's the innovation is the tomorrow, the tech today. Right? We're bringing you tomorrow's tech today. Like cannabis and tech today. Like, I literally tried to spell it out. So if you were walking along and you saw it, you'd be able to. And no, it, it, it was <laughs> still people are just like, so what's that about? Or people are like, so tell me. And they always say it like this too. They think they've, 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 they're going to stump me. They're like, so tell me, what does technology have to do with cannabis? Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, ooh, you are a smart. Look at the big brain on Brad. <laughs> Look know, at the big like- brain on Brad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have that with the Pot Biz podcast. Like mm-hmm. people will be like, because you know we've done the we've done the pot uh, the cannabis uh, shows like you yeah. have, and I forget the one that was just last year. MJ Biz. Yeah. But what what was starting happening was the Chris Voss show. I had these guys that were coming on that were talking about uh, financial investments and they were investment advisors. And one of their big portfolios was pot company investments. And I started realizing that just like the stock market, just like NASDAQ, in fact, I believe now there are are cannabis companies on the stock market exchange. They're listed. Um, the, the, The whole thing was turning into a business genre of you know just like everything else it was just like you know plastics and 
and orange yeah. juice and everything else. It's, it's, you know, the newest thing. You remember the dot coms? That's what it's a lot like the, the dot com yeah. era, the dot com era. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we started getting into the science of it. And, you know, I mean, these people are putting out uh, a cannabis on a scale. And so they have to totally industrialize it to a point of manufacturing uh, factory floors. And they've got to have different ways of, 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 of uh, just making it in mass and then packaging, shipping, and all, all the problems that any other product producer has, whether it's bread or meat or anything of that, you know, you've got to have the factory and you've got to have the ability to, 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 to do all the right chemical cooking and cleaning and, and all that sort of stuff and process. And when you go to these cannabis shows, it's not just a bunch of people sitting around smoking it. It's there's all these different services, especially for manufacturing there. Like, you know, they make the boxing thing. So, you know, it, packaging it, companies puts yeah. it in the thing and seals it up right and puts it in the box. Staffing. So they got cannabis staffing. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then one of the, one of the issues with the cannabis industry, at least in America, is you, you can't use banks. So you've got, you know, you've got a real cash problem. And so you've got to deal with those sort of issues. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff. And then, of course, you've got regulations you've got to hop through because you can, you can be making a lot of money in California, Oregon, and Washington, Nevada, where it's legal. And then, you know, you've got to be careful about interstate transportation. And yeah. I remember when I first, uh, just before I uh, came up to Utah to write this book, um, one of the cannabis trucks was going through um, Utah. And it got pulled over. They busted the driver and stuff. But it was a legal entity, and it was part of the, I don't know if it's the farm bill, but there's some sort of federal law that allows them to transport the stuff. If they're licensed, if they're legal, you know, and they're, they're moving between the factories and stuff. And, you know, it's, it's part of the thing that they're allowed to do. Um, and so they had to, they had to go, oh, well, yeah, was, okay, my, our bad, you know, state of Utah, our bad, whoops. Yeah, okay, we violated the, that whole thing. Um, but you know, this is one of the things they have to worry about. So, so they've got to do all this stuff and there's all these companies to consult and help with that and, and stuff. And so it's funny how people say to me, they'll be like, what is pot biz podcast about? And I'll be like, it says pot biz. Like what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. Like, it's it's people, not like how to become drink- a Maybe people think it's how to become a cartel member in Mexico. Like, how yeah, it's how to learn Bulgarian folk dancing. That's that's what you're going like, to get on this. How to, how, to, how, to, how to fly in under the radar of the FAA, 40 pounds, of ki- 40 kilos. Origami. In a, it's in mostly a origami. How to dig holes underneath the wall. No, yeah. man, it's pot biz podcast. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, but I think a lot of people are slowly adapting to it. They're understanding that now it's it's becoming a real business. Um, and everything else. Well, here's, here's something, uh, you're absolutely right. And during, during COVID right now, what, what has been a really big breakthrough in the cannabis industry is the fact that, uh, it's been deemed essential in most of the States where the governors get to decide what stays open and not. And I'm not just talking about dispensaries, but I'm talking about manufacturing. I'm talking about cultivation. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's gone from something that was underground that, you know, uh, uh people are still in jail for today. Yeah. For, for, for cannabis, right. For, for weed, whatever, marijuana, devil's lettuce, they're, they're gone while people are making millions of dollars. Entrepreneurs are out here hustling for every aspect of the business. Like you just said, 
Um, and but but during this time, the cannabis industry was deemed essential. And uh, not only did they do that, but they stepped up and just like a lot of businesses, they they converted and started making PPE. They started making hand sanitizer. They they actually can use their labs that they test weed so that you know what you're getting. You know mm-hmm. what strain it is. Those mm-hmm. PCR tests can be used to oh, wow. test for Corona. That's right. And so all of a sudden you have an underground industry that's decided to step up like all the mainstream businesses and do its part during a pandemic. It's, it's, it's kind of cool to see that maturation because uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago that it was completely underground and all the cannabis businesses were cut out from those, uh, those federal uh, loans and the, um, uh, uh, the, the money that went out to the businesses yeah. excluded cannabis businesses oh, wow. and cannabis businesses cannot declare bankruptcy. Did you oh, know really? that? I did not, not know that. Of course not because they can't wow. bank. They can't so bank. cannabis, uh, can't if you screw up in your cannabis business, <laughs> you're passing that on to your kids. <laughs> you're passing that on to your kids. I wonder if you can make uh, mass out of hemp. You probably can. Yeah. You can make yeah. everything out of hemp. Yeah. Hemp then is going to be used to make a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, and so it's interesting how the world changes. And so hopefully this gives some people on some different ideas on, on how to be successful. Just do it legally folks. That's the main thing. (laughs) Always follow the law, always pay your people and, um, always have a good, have a good bookkeeper, have a really good CPA. There you go. Okay. That's, that's what you got to do. And have a good attorney on speed dial um, to run your, to run your uh, stuff through. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, so a lot of different things you learn in the business. Uh, the one thing I'm kind of curious about, because I used to, I've never been a big pot person. And when mm-hmm. it became legal in Vegas and, uh, and my body was just like, you're not drinking anymore, man. You're just not doing it. And I, I could just, I started tuning in my body more. And I think I just reached an age where I could just tell if I drank for like three or four days, it would yeah. just be with me. It would dehydrate me. I'd just be dragging. I just would not be, you know, popping. And I'm just like, man, a couple hours of fun hitting the bottle just is going to ruin my life for the next three days. It just wasn't worth it anymore. Um, And so uh, when Vegas became legal, I started getting edibles because I can't deal with the smoking. I mean, I get people do. So knock yourself out. But uh, so I would take the edibles and they would really help me out with my inflammation and my joint pains. You know, I'm 52 now. So, you know, everything hurts <laughs> all the time. Like, and so, um, and it really started helping with a lot of different pain problems that I was having. And I, I don't, I didn't take it very often, but anytime I was in pain, I'd pop it and it would be just amazing at how much it really worked for inflammation. Like I would hear people talk about it. It really works for my inflammation and my pain. And I'm just like, yeah, sure, dude. So does my vodka. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but then I was like, holy shit. And there was a couple nights where I hit the vodka bottle a little hard and my kidney and liver swelled up the size of a small elephant in my body. And you're just like, oh, wow, man. Okay. I get it. You don't like me anymore. You want a divorce? Yeah. You know, my yeah. kidney's like kicking. It's like, get us the fuck out of here, this dude, man. We're sick as shit. <laughs> and, and so I would take some uh, edibles. And the edibles would take the inflammation down and, and get everything calmed down. And so I'm kind of curious because one of the problems with coronavirus is it, the body inflames in, in the way that it does to fight off the virus. And 
the inflammation is stuff that's really killing people, the blood clotting. And, and even in the kids, we're seeing this Kawasaki's disease where it's, uh, it's showing up on the skin. Yeah. Did you see the feet the skin? like Corona, Corona the, toe or something like that. Yeah, they get all like puffy some, and there's some kids that's all over their body. Mm-hmm. What is that called where people have the, they're born with the, like the blood spots on their face or body somewhere. What's that called? Um, and it's permanent for life. Yeah. But but it's Gorbachev like, had one. Yeah, Gorbachev. Oh, Gorbachev's little, disease. He had like Italy or something right there. Yeah. Um and he had Pangea. Uh, it was Pangea. Was it Pangea? Yeah. It's right there on the thing. <laughs> and uh I mean at least you always knew who he was. You're like, hey, you're that guy. Um I mean he was the leader of Russia. You weren't gonna fuck with him because you're gonna yeah. have a gulag in fucking Siberia. Uh what'd you do? I made fun of Gorbachev's little uh, tear down that wall. Agonia. Um and so and so uh, I'm curious if they started using because um, evidently one of the a couple of the drugs they're using now is to calm down the inflammation mm-hmm. to get the body to quit overreacting and damage because it's damaging the organs, the livers and kidneys with yeah. its inflammation. And um, so now one of the medicine, some of the medicines are giving her for anti-inflammation. So I'd be curious to know, like if 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 that helped because well, I don't know. I can tell you as a guy who publishes a cannabis tech magazine and has had a lot of people on my podcast, they are, they're very early. So it's anecdotal, but they're already starting to test. And there's some other places that have been ahead of us, like, you know, uh, Israel way ahead of us when it comes to testing with cannabis and stuff like that. They've got some, some tip top scientists and doctors over there. Um, but yeah, they've, they've, there's early signs is there may be some promising developments. Cause one thing you got to remember is it was just the 1990s when they discovered the endocannabinoid system. The Mm. fact that every human on earth has an endocannabinoid system within them. It was the 90s that it was discovered. And also your dogs have an endocannabinoid system. My cat Mm. has an endocannabinoid system, right? Mm -hmm. And basically that thing, when it's tip top, when it's topped off, kind of like your fluids in your car, when it's topped off, everything is optimal. So, mm-hmm. so mood, uh, in, in inflammation, you know, things like that, just all kind of regulate. It sort mm-hmm. of regulates everything inside your body when that's out of whack, when it's out of kilter, that's when things start to flare up and act up. So it's oh, yeah. interesting that you bring that up, that they are just scratching the surface yeah. on, on researching cannabis, because unlike other drugs out there, um, everybody's body's different and our genetics are different. So a certain strain mm-hmm. might make me hyper it might make you sleepy same exact strain but we're wired different and stuff so it's really going to be fascinating to see in the next 10 you know 20 years what they can do with cannabis and all the different terpenes and all the different you know everything that comes from the cannabis plant and the hemp plant which is of the cannabis is going to be fascinating when they are going to see that it isn't just a dirtbag, you know, drug in the back alley, you know, uh, reefer madness. This is some really good stuff that has been right under our nose, pun intended, for a long time. And they treated it like it was the, the worst thing on the planet. Well, I never, you know, I, I just want uh, my friends to be like, you know, this is, they, they make it illegal because uh, blah, 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 because, you know, the big companies. And I never really got it. But then when, in, when I was living in Vegas and I started uh, taking it a lot, um, and back then I was still like drinking. So I would use it to reset my body and take the inflammation yeah. down from the drinking. So it was kind of like a, it's kind of like bring me back down drug or bring me It was back the down. Elvis technique. It was, yeah, basically. <laughs> and then finally, I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? I don't, I don't have to deal with it, you know? And, um, 
And I'm overweight, so sometimes, you know, I've reached that age where the bowels and the stomach don't always want to work together and some, you know, I lots of dehydration. And so I found it, just taking it, and it's like I, I would, you know, I wouldn't take it to get high. Like in the middle of the day, I could take like half a tab mm-hmm. of, of uh, like five milligrams, and I wouldn't get like super high. Uh, I get a little relaxed and focused, but you would feel like the muscles in your body go so it'll be interesting if I get coronavirus, I might, and it's bad. I might run to Vegas and I don't know, go stay down there and, and, and uh, consume a bunch of stuff. So I don't over whatever, because what happens is, and I learned this from my chiropractor years ago is it pinches. Once it pinches those nerves and those blood vessels, the blood can't get through. And so your system, it just gets more yeah. fucking as it goes. Anyway, moving on. Uh, we'll be able to, this gives us enough content to put this on the pop biz podcast. So this will show up in a few different places. <laughs> there you go. Um, so you built these three companies. Uh, how many years are you in now? So we we're celebrating our five year anniversary for innovation and tech today. And, uh, so, but, but, you know, all told we're probably like about, you know, six, mm-hmm. six and a half in, you know, those first, <laughs> first year and a half was a little slow, yeah. but yeah. 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 I mean, you got to build it and then it just scales and it just becomes this volition where you wake up one day and you're just like, holy shit. And that's, you know, we were talking about earlier, just get into it and whatever. Your cat's uh, stealing your background there. Your cat's uh, bombing your... Dude, he came by earlier. He was yeah. on, this is, so he sleeps all day long. This mm-hmm. is, this is his life, right? He mm-hmm. sleeps all day long. And then at night, he's just an aggressive panhandler. There he is. literally is in the kitchen. Every time I go in the kitchen, he's there and he's vocal and loud. He's an aggressive panhandler and, and I have to give him something or he will not leave me alone. But during the day, dude, he's sleep. Sometimes I have to poke him like to make vampire. sure he's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> to see if he's got a pulse. My dog he's in the that. same spot. Oh my god! I'll like watch my dogs, and I'm like, are they breathing? And yeah, <laughs> yeah. I better check on them. God knows what they ate today, right? But uh, yeah, he's just he's just taking over. So, anything more we want to cover on what you guys are doing and everything you guys built with uh, all the different magazines and IPW? No, I just I just think that one thing uh, is you know everybody will tell you that print is dead and print um, it, print is declining uh, more more uh, eyeballs and revenue is going towards digital it's an absolute fact but if you're gonna do print then do the best print in the world you know we have ten dollar coffee table quality magazines you know if you're gonna if you, if you're gonna and by the way there's tech companies that are launching print magazines right now mm-hmm. uh, Airbnb has a print magazine. Netflix just launched a quarterly print magazine yeah, to raise their, it's not for consumers. It's for the people that vote in Hollywood and that vote on TV show. Yeah. Because Netflix had all that original content that wasn't winning any awards. So they created a print magazine that people could grab when they go to the premieres and stuff like that, take home with them to create that emotional connection with the voters so -hmm. that they could start winning awards. So um, I would just say that, you know, if you're going to do something, even in an area where, you know, they might say like, uh, you know, don't be in print or don't, you know, whatever, be the best that you can at that, but also be open to pivot because mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, uh, Corona, it made us have to stay home, made us have to crank out more digital content, made us have to get out of our comfort zone because we had no events anymore. We had no newsstands. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, sometimes life will kind of nudge you in the right direction, but, but be open to pivot, um, but stay true to what you do and whatever you're going to do, 
always do it to be the best. You know, if you're going to be a dishwasher, be the best damn dishwasher in the world. If you're going mm-hmm. to do something, then freaking leave it all on the field and, and you know, it'll sort itself out. But um, yeah, I mean, we've got now print, uh, digital websites, webinars, you know, email marketing, all those things. And it all started around a print magazine and nobody starts a magazine to get rich. It's just, you and, just don't. And you know, it, this all goes right back to the beginning of your first issue and ties in Steve Jobs. When he first forayed into phones and was talking about doing phones, everyone's like, dude, Blackberry owns the market. Yeah. Like you're never going to beat Blackberry. They own the market. And he's like, he was like what you said, we're going to make a phone. It's going to be the best damn phone ever. Yeah. And uh, we're friends with people who uh, worked on that team. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, they, they threw everything in that phone, fax machine, uh, yeah. phone, you know, printer, calculator, calculator, every, just everything went in that phone, microphone, uh, mm-hmm. you know, speakers, you know, just like, I mean, you, you look at, I think there's some pictures out there, some memes on the internet that show everything they put in the phone. Yeah. And it was just like, put it in the phone. And did you, you know, have an iPhone when it first came out? Uh, I didn't have it when it first came out. I think I got into the 3G or 2G. Okay. Uh, the two, the two part or three part. Um, it took me a while because I was at first I was like five hundred dollars for a phone. That seems a little much. My friends like, but it does like everything. It was aggressive of them pricing it like. And that. I'm like, I don't know. I like my little Nokia flip phone. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that was kind of revolutionary, but BlackBerry owned the market. They had it all tied mm-hmm. up. They had all the enterprise tied up, all the companies that contracts with them. All the, go- and, yeah, and yeah. They were telling Steve Jobs, man, you know, you're never going to crack that nut. No, man, yeah. BlackBerry owns it. And BlackBerry, you know, you don't even hear them. I don't think they make phones. I think <laughs> Dude, when we did this first magazine, Innovation and Tech Today, I was always calling on BlackBerry and I was going to be like, listen, you guys need to advertise here because you're not doing good, you know, and, uh, and I could never get hold of them. But yeah. Um, well, they rode it. that train right into the sand. I mean, they, yeah. they rode it right into the lake. They're yeah. just like, we're still number one. We still got plenty of contracts. And, and just like, Isn't it just... funny to think about the phones you had going back? I had a, I had a, a, tra- a trio. Treo. Yeah. It was the one that had the stencil and it had a keyboard on it. I had the Nextel push to talk. Mm. Remember you, you had the flip and you could be like, burr, burr, and it would just like make noise on your buddy's hip or whoever you were connected <laughs> with. That Nextel uh, flip phone was pretty awesome. I had, uh, I, I think, I, oh God, dude, I had a pager. Mm. You remember having to do business with a pager? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we yeah. all had pagers. In fact, our first phone for our courier company you couldn't even was talk. a brick phone. It was a pager. Yeah. was the brick phone and we bought the extra large battery for it mm-hmm. so you can murder somebody with that brick phone yeah and it was heavy you could like feel the radiate like the side of your head would get <laughs> you get a suntan get a suntan for the radiation out that motherfucking thing and you're just like i don't really know about this you know that's probably why i have it doesn't cause cancer well there's like a leg growing off your head you're fine cool phone dude <laughs> this is a cool phone but you're, you're like hey if i ever get into a fight i have a weapon so yeah. i got that going for me thing came um, with a kickstand yeah i think <laughs> it was like it was costing us like 1200 dollars a fucking month of course yeah career service but I don't remember what it is. It was like eight dollars a minute or some goddamn thing back then. We just, but we had to have it for our current company because people call oh, yeah. and be like, come, come pick this shit up, and 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 we couldn't have a courier company without it. We could have pagers, but my god, we would spend half our day stopping at a payphone. 
you know, back in the day. And every now and then you would do that with a brick phone because you're like, I can either talk to these people for five minutes or I can go to pay phone. Remember, remember it would just pop up the number, right? So if you yeah. got paged by someone, it yeah. would be like, and you'd recognize the number, but sometimes they would put nine one one after the number yeah. that meant it was serious, man. Yeah, you had to call them back right away. And if you, there was a nine one one on there that you had to find a phone booth, you had to have some change and yeah. you had to call them back because it was urgent. Yeah, you had to kick Superman out. Change someplace yeah. else, man. There's another one down. On the, I got a 911 on, on my pager. Right now, right now, millennials are going, what's this phone book booth shit yeah. you're talking about? <laughs> I'll fax you. Uh, so awesome. So give us the plug so everyone can look up, subscribe to your magazine and everything, Charles. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's pretty simple. Uh, uh, it's InnoTech today, Canatech today. Res Tech Today. That's on all the social media. So we made it kind of the same across there. And it's it's innovation and tech today. If you like gaming, uh, if you like entertainment, if you like, you know, just like broad technology, uh, cybersecurity, you know, things like that, that's innovation and tech today. If you are into cannabis and tech, this is an award-winning magazine. It is really turned out nicely. That's cannabis and tech today. And if you are are deep in, uh, if you're an audiovisual, smart home technology, uh, an integrator, installer, dealer, anything like that, Residential Tech Today is is incredible. We've got Jeremy Glowacki as our editor, uh, and that's Residential Tech Today. So got all the social, you got the hardbound magazines, we got the digital. Um, give it a look. We've got some some specials right now since everybody's at home. Uh, we make it easy for them to become a subscriber. And what's funny is companies need advertising more now than ever because they don't you know it's not it's it's harder now and everyone needs to reach out and do their marketing and it's very different because there's different ways people can consume it so um you know i i had one company that we do a lot of view products for they're a great company but i called them up and said uh, do you have any new units to send us and they go we're cutting our marketing overhead and we're probably not going to send out as many reviews and i'm like are you fucking kidding me yeah. this is the time to send the shit because number yeah. one you're gonna have shit sitting on shelves Mm-hmm. that you can send to me to review yeah we can get people to buy and number two this is the not the time to cut your marketing i mean if anything like we talked about earlier i, I think we talked about this pre-show uber laid off a bunch of people now they're buying grubhub mm-hmm. um you know they're they're finding ways to change their marketing up and change their business models up and expand their reach so they can make money from as many different places so i implore my audience i've known i, I know charles for a million years now and uh, like I say, I was honored. I've written him a couple. Uh, I think I've done a few, few different segments. Yeah, you've been featured a couple different times in the uh, in the mag. Yeah, and uh, and all that good stuff. So be sure to check him out. Go to innotechtoday.com. You can also see these uh, links on the Chris Foss Show website. And this will be featured on about three or four of our different podcasts that uh, take and do it. It's uh, restechtoday.com. And uh, the last one is Canna techtoday.com so anyway thanks for my audience for tuning in thanks for charles for coming and sharing all his wonderful knowledge and helping people and hopefully we can get some people that are unemployed working uh give them some concepts and ideas they can do to start their own business um and uh, go to the cbpn.com or chris foss podcast network.com subscribe to all nine podcasts you can learn so much and right now is a great time because you want to use this time to utilize uh if you're if you're being laid off or if you're uh just being furloughed uh use this to go start a new company and change your life get a new career and then you don't have to worry about getting fired ever again so there you go (laughs) 
That's what I did. Uh, so the only person who can fire me and Charles is us, basically. It's a great place to be. It's pretty nice. Anyway, guys, we certainly appreciate you tuning in. Be safe. Wear your mask. Uh, keep your distance. Remember, it's not about you. It's about everyone else in the world, too. Be a good human being in the, uh, in the citizen of the world. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you next time.